Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Well, today is an exciting day uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them is today is the beginning of a new sermon series. We even have our own cover art. Uh, it's called Surpassing Glory. And so the, the way that this will work this summer, I'll just kind of give you guys the schedule. Um, Pastor Mark will be gone uh, for six weeks this summer, but not all at the same time. And so I'll be preaching this sermon series, Surpassing Glory, uh, in kind of two, three-week increments. And so I'll be preaching on 2 Corinthians this week, next week, and the following week. And then when Pastor Mark comes back at the end of June, he'll pick up in Matthew again and preach three weeks. And then after that, I will preach again for three weeks starting on July 16th. So if you're marking that down in your calendar, I'm not giving you the dates that you can miss when I'm preaching. Uh, Just wanted to let everyone know what's going on here. Um, Another exciting thing that I've gotten a lot of comments about today is that if you look at your order of worship, you have an entire page for taking notes on the opposite side. That must be big news because I've heard about that quite a bit. Now, I'm an optimist, and so as I see you feverishly writing down things wherever you're at, I'm just going to assume that you're taking really good, studious notes. Um, But I've also heard that some people may be wanting to um, help me out by critiquing all the ways that I misstep or misspeak uh, in ways that I can become a little bit more like Pastor Mark during this time. But that was not a funny joke. Let's just move on. I'm just going to assume that you're taking good notes. Now, 2 Corinthians, I feel like I should give you sort of like a reason why. So I I was given the freedom to pick anything. I could pick anything for six weeks as a congregation. What should we go through? What would I like to preach about? And I I ended up on 2 Corinthians 3 through 5. And if you walk through, if you just look at some of the highlights There's some really big moments in this passage. There's some really big highlights that are really common and we would recognize. So if you look at chapter 3, I know if you have your Bibles, you can can follow along or just listen. But in chapter 3, verse 18, we hear, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Down in chapter 4, we read, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then he goes into, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Later in the same passage, Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In chapter 5, we hear that Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We hear about the ministry of reconciliation as God has brought His people back to Himself and together that they're reconciled. And He has given them this ministry of reconciliation. And then at the end of chapter 5, we end with this beautiful statement, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, 
our goal over these six weeks is to look at, at this passage and not just the individual parts, but ask, how does it all fit together? I mean, this is really the center of what Paul is talking about, not just in 2 Corinthians, but in his gospel message, in his proclamation to the nations. This is where Paul is leading us. So what we'll see as we walk through these chapters in the coming weeks is that Paul is a transformed man. That he's fixated on the surpassing glory of the Lord and Jesus Christ. And Paul longs for the Corinthians and for us to see Jesus as He is. To see Jesus high and lifted up. Glorious beyond compare. When we see Him like that, Our struggles, the trials, the difficulties of this life don't cease. They don't go away. But they do become manageable as we walk by faith in courage and in hope that comes in only knowing our Savior personally. So this is where Paul is leading, and that's, that's kind of this big overview of the series that we'll be looking at. Um, so what I'll do now is I'm going to transition and we'll look at today's passage. So just today's passage, if I were to give you an outline, I'd give you these three points. First, Paul will orient us to his work and ministry in Corinth. Secondly, he describes living letters of recommendation. And then thirdly, He urges us to walk confidently, not in our own competency, but in the sufficiency that comes from God alone. Overall, Paul teaches us that our competency comes from God who writes His Word of grace on our hearts. So let's look at Paul's work in Corinth. The first verse in our passage, gives us a summary that concludes chapter 2. And and in chapter 2, Paul was kind of giving us this broad overview of what his ministry looks like. And he says to conclude, we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So this verse gives us some insight into Paul's ministry in Corinth. To help flesh this out, we're going to spend a little bit of extra time sort of digging into the background and what was going on in Corinth and what led Paul to this point. Now remember, Corinth was a really strategic location in this place in the world. It was an isthmus, which is a really fun and scary word to say. I feel like I'm always saying it wrong. I won't say it again. Uh, But basically what it is, is it's this thin strip of land that connects... Okay, so we have the Peloponnese Peninsula on one side and the Greek mainland on the other. And then on either side are these bodies of water and these gulfs that open up one to the Aegean region and the other to the western Mediterranean Sea. Now, if you're someone that loves geography or you're using your white space to take notes and fact check the preacher you're welcome for all of that information that i just gave you but if you're not that's fine forget everything that i just said and recognize that corinth is a really strategic place it's a really important place in this part of the world see corinth saw a lot of traffic from different countries as cultures came together and collided we see that there's mixing of culture there's trading there's exchanging of ideas And Corinth was known for many things in its day. Uh, Some of the things that it was known best for were its religious syncretism and its blatant 
immorality. That it's a place that people would look at and understand that it's a place of immorality. And Paul says, hey, that seems like a really good place to plant a church. And you can read about that in Acts 18. It's really unique how God lays everything out for him. There's visions to bring him there. There's visions that tell him that he will have a peaceful ministry there. Uh, Someone gets beaten instead of Paul. It's just an ironic passage. There's all these really interesting things that happen in Corinth. And, And Paul is able to stay for a year and a half enjoying peaceful, successful ministry. The problem was that when Paul left, things in Corinth didn't go very well. We can piece together this uh, history of Corinth and Paul if we look at different passages in Acts and in First and Second Corinthians. And I'll just kind of give you the highlights here. See, in First Corinthians, Paul mentions that he had sent a letter earlier to the Corinthians to to have them deal with some of the sexual immorality that was taking place in the church. They must not have listened to the first letter because then we get 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And if you've read through that, you understand that this church had a lot of issues. There was a lot going on in this church that Paul had to deal with. Unfortunately, again, the church doesn't seem to have responded well. And so Paul sends Timothy to deal with things in Corinth. And when Timothy arrives, he recognizes this church is in turmoil. It's in utter chaos. There's divisions everywhere. Things are not going well. And he brings this report back to Paul. And so Paul, as anyone would, gets up and he goes immediately to Corinth to resolve these issues himself. But when he gets there, it's a disaster. He talks about how he had to leave, that they basically threw him out. That he had this painful visit. And the Corinthians sided with the opponents, openly rejecting Paul and in rebellion against him. Now this is going to take our imagination a little bit, but put yourself into Paul's shoes. A year and a half of ministry there and these people that have come to know the Lord. How heartbreaking this must have been for him. The Corinthians had rejected not just Paul, but they had rejected his message too. He must have wondered whether his prayers and his tears and all of his efforts had been wasted. I mean, why had God called him to Corinth if the church was just going to destruct itself like this? And from his pain and anguish of heart, Paul tells us that he writes another letter. He wrote a painful and severe letter which he sent back to the Corinthians uh, through a man of character, Titus. And so he sends Titus back to Corinth with this really difficult, hard letter. And Paul stays and he continues to, to do his missionary efforts elsewhere, fervently praying that God would use Titus to accomplish what hadn't been done through Paul or Timothy or the letters that had gone before. How long that wait must have felt for Paul. I mean, have you ever written like a hard letter or maybe written an email to someone you love and there's some really hard truth in it? And you send it and you you don't know how the person will respond. I mean, will they fight it out with you? Will they respond with this relationship of love and desire to have community with you again? Or will they write you off completely? I mean, this would have been excruciating for Paul as he waits for Titus to go to Corinth, to work in Corinth, 
to come back and to see Paul and to report on how this went. So when Paul finally found Titus, it was, it was a big moment. And it was a beautiful thing. We, we read of a magnificent report that a majority of the church in Corinth had repented. That they had grieved of their evil ways. And they wanted to reconcile with Paul. See, they had turned back to the Lord and wanted to live for Him. And how this must have left Paul just completely overjoyed. But the good thing is, like right after all of this happened, Paul sits down and he writes 2 Corinthians. Our letter that we'll be looking at. I mean, it's an incredibly, deeply emotional, personal letter that describes his own joy after a season of tears and troubles. Peace after a time of fear and anxiety for people that he loved dearly. Paul hadn't seen the Corinthians yet since they rejected him. But he would be there soon. But before he got there, he needed to write this letter to remind them of his love. To remind them that they are reconciled and restored in Christ. Now we'll see as we walk through that that there still seems to be a remnant, like a small minority in this church that is still not on board with Paul. There seems to be opponents nearby and still working to claim the church. And so Paul isn't needing just to reestablish himself in this church, but he also needs to reestablish himself as an authority, as one who brings God's Word, as a minister of the Gospel. And so that's what we see in verse 17. That Paul differentiates himself and his companions from professional preachers and people that he calls peddlers of God's Word. See, this this idea of peddlers is a picture of the marketplace. It's a place where peddlers and hucksters would try to make money by ripping people off. They might sell watered-down wine or maybe cracked pottery or some other devious product. See, whatever it was... They sold the product that looked authentic. It claimed to be something that it was not. And they promoted a tampered, forged, inauthentic good. Paul says what these peddlers have done in the church is to take God's Word and make it profitable. Maybe they are paid orators who are just paid to preach. Maybe they only take the most attractive parts of the Bible and preach those. Maybe they water down the parts that are difficult to stomach in polite society. They might get rid of things or change the Bible and the message of the Gospel to suit their needs. Whatever the case may be, Paul calls them out as peddlers, as hucksters, who are out for their own self-interest. See, if the Corinthians buy into this message that they're being sold, they'll be buying into a tainted product, not the saving Word of God. At the cost of their souls, they'll be making these crooked salesmen rich. So Paul tells the Corinthians to get away and stay away from people like this in a message like that. Unlike them, Paul and his companions come as men of sincerity with a pure message. They're honest. They're preaching truth and nothing but the truth. It's not sometimes we think, oh, they must be rude or, or abrasive or inappropriate. No, no, no. No, Paul still seeks to be winsome in his approach because the Gospel truly is good news. However, it's really strange good news that centers on a dying Savior. It's good news that follows bad news. 
News about sin and brokenness. News about our alienation from God. News that we cannot win our way back to God. News that God can't accept us on His own terms. News that God is sovereign. That He is King and Creator. That He sets the terms. And that we either fall in line with Him or we stand against Him hopelessly lost. So the message is authentic that they bring. And they bring it without manipulation. See, in Corinth, one of the things that Corinth was also known for was all these paid orators that would come. They were a main attraction. And they would speak on the, on the street and they would be really eloquent. They would sound like very wise, learned men and people would pay them so that they could hear from them. They could present persuasive arguments for anything, whether the person believed it or not themselves. But Paul wasn't like them. And in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul describes his preaching style and how he was so different from all these paid orators in Corinth. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul didn't come to manipulate people or to wow them with his ability. Instead, he laid out the gospel for them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So that when they believed the gospel, they knew that its source must be from God Himself. And so here we see Paul laying out his case that he's a servant, that he's an ambassador, that he's a representative of Christ, and that he's been commissioned by God and does God's work in His sight. I mean, if you think about like getting a job in a new company, Part of the contractual agreement that you make with this company is that what you say and what you do will represent your new company. And so you need to dot your I's. You need to cross your T's, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of your company's reputation. Like, What's a more effective way of instilling this in employers than like having your boss sit in the room with you as you're getting oriented? They can listen in to your conversations. They can read your emails over your shoulder. They can note how you use your time and your energy and your resources. Now to us, I mean, this sounds miserable. This sounds like micromanaging. But for Paul, it's evidence that his message is truly from God. It's like he's saying, look, I know that you want me to speak more eloquently. I know that you would like me to say the things that you want to hear. I know that those peddlers are easy to listen to. And then they lay out an easy path for you so that you can feel good and you can feel religious. But I'm coming to you as a representative of God. And I'm commissioned by Him. I stand in His sight. He's always watching. He's always listening. And the things that I say, I speak in Christ. I can only tell you the things that He's told me to say. Don't pick the message that you most want to hear. 
No, pick the one that actually comes from God. The one that can truly save your souls and bring you into the alignment with the God who is. See, in a consumerist world in which the customer is always right, Paul reminds us that God alone is right. Sin has led our hearts to want the wrong things. And peddlers and hucksters are always willing to sell us the things that we want to hear, the things that we prefer. And Paul would say, be reminded not to buy into these schemes, but rather listen to Paul and accept the hearty meat of God's Word over and against the potato chip religion of this world that may taste great, but could never leave us fully and truly satisfied. See, our hearts were made to long for God and to only be satisfied in Him. So listen to Him and feast on His Word in His Word alone. We notice that Paul is, in his mind, having this conversation with the Corinthians. And in three one, he can hear his opponent's rejection. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? See, well, apparently one of the arguments that Paul faced was this question, whose authority are you coming on? By whose authority do you make these claims? Like, and it's, it's fun to like, read through Paul's letters and recognize that he's having this conversation with this church. It may be a conversation he's already had or one that's just in the back of his mind. But here he comes and he's making this claim that he's been commissioned by God to speak Christ. And right there, the enemies are there to say, oh, look at that Paul. Look at how he's commending himself again. See, we have these letters of recommendation. People that vouch for us. Who does Paul have? He's got nobody. I mean, like in a job application, uh, your employer will ask you to submit letters of reference. People that will vouch for your character and your work ethic and your experience. I mean, likewise, in this time, the church needed people and authorities in the church to send letters of recommendation with new pastors and people that were coming to them for the first time. They needed reputable leaders to assure the congregation that this pastor wasn't a lone wolf nut job, but he was actually coming to teach sound doctrine. See, apparently, Paul's opponents could produce some letters of authenticity. I don't know who from, but they had them. But what about Paul? If you like, think through like, Paul's life, I mean, for me, I would have been really tempted at this point to maybe name drop a little bit. I mean, he has like a personal relationship with Peter and James, John, and the twelve apostles. Like, he knows them and he knows them by name. Like, better yet, he could have talked about the road to Damascus and how the Lord Jesus Christ himself had come and made himself known to Paul and commissioned him to go out and preach the gospel. He could have talked about all of the churches that knew him and the sending organizations that had sent him to preach the gospel. He could have done any of this. But he didn't choose to do that. I mean, at first, he basically just says, like, this is really unnecessary. I mean, it would be similar to, like, us as a church. uh, When Mark comes back in three weeks and he comes to the door, we say, look, we need letters of recommendation so that we know that we can trust you. And we can trust your message to us. I mean, that, that situation is not only like outrageous, 
But it's offensive. And think about it for Paul. He's planted this church. He spent a year and a half there. This is his, at least his fourth letter and at least his third visit that he's planning on making to these people. They know who Paul is. And Paul knows them. It would be ridiculous to again argue that he needed letters of recommendation. But Paul goes further than that. He points out that even though he doesn't need letters of recommendation, he has letters of recommendation that go far deeper than ink and paper. In verse 2, Paul says, You yourselves are letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. This is pretty incredible stuff. Paul doesn't need to get anyone important to write him letters of recommendation. Now instead, he points to the Corinthians and says, you are my letter. You are written on my heart. And you're an open book that everyone I talk to knows you by reputation because you are so near and dear to me. So in one sense, Paul wants this church to know just how much he loves them. How much he boasts about them. And if you consider what we've already talked about with his relationship with Corinth and the difficult situation that they've put him in, that the last time they saw his face, they rejected him. How healing these words must have been. One, for Paul to be able to say honestly, but also for the Corinthians to hear about his love, his deep and sincere care that he has for them. But then Paul extends the metaphor. He looks at it in a different light. In verse 3, he says that they are a letter from Christ, delivered by Paul and his companions. See, the Corinthians did not belong to Paul. They belonged to God. God had commissioned Paul to preach the Gospel to the Corinthians. God had opened the Corinthians' hearts, writing on their hearts by His Spirit. So Paul basically says, forget your letters of recommendation and look at how God has written on your hearts. You were dead and He has made you alive. You were alienated from Him. And now He's brought you close. If you want to know that my message is authentic, that my message comes from God, look at the work that He's doing in your hearts. Don't put any kind of power into these these letters of ink. See, Paul is showing them that God is working in a new way. That Christ has ushered in a time of a new covenant. See, verse 3 it signals to us as we talk about tablets of stone and hearts of flesh. It reminds us of the covenant that God spoke of in Jeremiah 31 and in Ezekiel 36, where God says He's going to initiate something new, that what was old was broken and it didn't work. But He was going to do something new, something beautiful, that God Himself would work in the hearts of His people, that He would forgive their sins that He would write His law on their hearts, that He would remove their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh, that He would change and transform His people from the inside out, that He would lead them in close personal fellowship with Himself through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. 
And this is where Paul is, is going. And we're going to look at that a lot more next week as he really dives into that. But for today, we want to see that Paul is transitioning the minds of the Corinthians from the external form of religion to the internal reality of God's work on the hearts of his people. Paul tells the Corinthians that they are forgiven, that they are transformed people, that they are letters written by Christ. Their hearts are the evidence of God's work and God's care. And their lives proclaim to the world that God is alive and that God is active. Paul didn't need letters of recommendation from others. No, he pointed at the grace that had transformed the Corinthians and said, look at what God has done inside of you. So this meant that Paul's ministry was one of a mail carrier. He was a letter bearer. No wonder Paul could speak with such great confidence that he had in his ministry. The reason was because it wasn't really his ministry. It was God's ministry that he was working through him. God had commissioned him. It was God's message. God was the one who was doing the work to write in the hearts of others. All Paul had to do was faithfully proclaim God's Word. Does this mean that Paul was sufficient for the task? In himself, by no means. But in Christ, absolutely yes. Paul says our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Following Christ is about recognizing our own insufficiency and trusting on His sufficiency instead. Following Christ isn't about external forms of religion like our own traditions or our own behaviors. It's about the inner working of God's Holy Spirit as He gives us new hearts and new lives, new desires. And He works that out from the inside out that we bear fruit that He's given us to bear. Has God written His Word on your heart? Do we understand that the grace of God that has come into us and transformed us from the inside out is meant to be a letter, an evidence for those around us to see that God is real, that His work is serious, and that He's actively working in us? See, through repentance, we recognize our failure and trust in His love and in His cleansing. Through living an obedient Christian life, we rely on His promises that this world is not our home and that His ways are far better than our ways even when it doesn't look like it. When we speak of God and His Son Jesus Christ, we glory in Him, trusting that He will take our faltering words and that He will apply them to those who we speak to in His timing and in His power. See, like Paul, none of us are sufficient in ourselves for this life or its trials. But praise be to God that He is sufficient, that He is in the business of changing hearts, writing His Word of grace on them to be known and read by all. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.